Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. More thoughts, reflections on the biodiesel conference I just attended in Tampa. Um, There's finally hope again in that industry for moving forward. Now, the numbers were down. Attendance was down. That reflects the pain that that industry has gone through the last couple of years. There have been plants idled. There have been workers laid off, production cut back, due in large part to the lack of the tax credit. Well, that being reinstated at the end of last year as part of a tax extenders package, and it's a five-year plan. In other words, it may, it retroactively goes back the last two years where the industry didn't have it and then has it for three more years moving forward. That's more certainty than the bio industry has had, biodiesel industries had in some time. So that gives them cautious optimism for moving forward. And as you heard, if you heard our shows the last couple of days, you heard plans for uh, expansion and growth. They want to uh, increase production, basically double production and usage of biodiesel in the next 10 years. And that's going to require quite a bit more in the way of feedstocks, certainly going to take more soybean oil, the primary uh, feedstock that they will be using. But they think uh, they're going to see considerable growth based on two factors mainly, the low-carbon fuel policy on the West Coast and the heating market, home heating market in the Northeast. They think those are going to be big demand drivers for biodiesel moving forward. They just need uh, more help from the EPA on the RFS and the smaller refinery exemptions. If they can get that, they feel they're really ready to take off. So we'll be watching that closely uh, in the months ahead. Well, we're joined now by Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report, who checks in with us with the news of the day. Jerry, how are you? Uh, well, I'm fine. Uh, I'm uh, here in Washington today, but I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Phoenix for the International Dairy Foods Association meeting, where I am look, looking forward to see to hearing uh, what the dairy processors think they're going to get out of the China deal and the uh, new U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, agreement to replace NAFTA. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Here. Hey, dairy got has been getting a nice plug during the impeachment trial, right? Uh, some of the senators having milk there during the proceedings. <laughs> well, they're all trying to be quite healthy. I will also point out that they have a candy counter uh, that <laughs> is run by Senator Pat Toomey from uh, Pennsylvania, since he has so many candy companies, starting, of course, with Hershey in the state of Pennsylvania. So we have uh, our treats there. Even if they can't have cell phones on the floor. Yeah. Well, we finally, USMCA keeps moving along. We just assume that it's all done, but it still has the formalities of getting done. And then, of course, has to be approved in Canada. And like all of these trade deals, they don't just happen immediately. Uh, it'll take time for them to, uh, for us to start seeing the, uh, the effects of them. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and how quickly we see these things take hold. Uh, yes, I have been very much struck by the negative stories about the prospects of for uh, for China buying a lot of U.S. agricultural products. Uh, you know, it's in everybody, everybody from the Wall Street Journal uh, to Cargill uh, to think tanks in Washington 
uh, all questioning whether this is actually going to happen and also what impact it will have on world trade, whether uh, China will uh, just, uh, you know, shift, uh, shift its imports to the United States, uh, which would, of course, upset other countries. Uh, I've noticed that Australia wants uh, um, China to agree to uh, provisions to benefit it uh, in dairy, uh, just as uh, it has provisions with the United States. So we, we'll really have to see what, what happens here. Uh, as you said, it takes, it takes time, uh, and we'll just see. Yeah, some are saying it's almost too good to be true that they're going to fulfill the terms of this deal. Uh, plus the fact the history of China not fulfilling these commitments also makes people skeptical. That's right. That's right. Uh, of course, the big news today uh, is that uh, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Andrew Wheeler is expected to uh, release the new Waters of the United States rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at a home builders meeting in, uh, in uh, Nevada, uh, and EPA has scheduled a press call uh, about 12.30 p.m. today, uh, so I'll learn more about that at that time. But the New York Times reported today that the, that the uh, new rule is quite dramatic and is very strongly criticized by environmental groups. Yep, that'll probably go to court as well, but we'll see. Uh, uh, I know agriculture is certainly looking forward to the release of this new rule, and we'll see uh, if that does indeed happen today, as we think it might. All right, Jerry, good to talk with you. Safe travels. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Enjoy Arizona. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Coming up next, my conversation with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. I saw him this week at the National Biodiesel Conference in Tampa. We sat down and talked about a number of things. That conversation coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... So each month here on AOA, we take a look at the uh, Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer numbers, and we take a look at the Ag Equipment Sales numbers. And with those numbers from December, we're joined now by Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We now have the final numbers for 2019. How do they turn out? Well, Mike, we made it. This uh, this year of 2019 is uh, is finally in the books and boy what a crazy one it was we ended the year of tractor and combine sales just a little bit above where we were last year but uh, as you look at the journey all the way through it was a roller coaster we started off incredibly strong you know sort of out of the gate a little hot and then things softened pretty sharply 
about halfway through to basically take us to where we uh, where we ended up ended up the year just a little bit a little bit above last year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. Glad to have with us the CEO of the American Soybean Association. We talk to him quite often, but actually had a chance to uh, sit down face-to-face for a change. We did so at the National Biodiesel Conference in Tampa this week. Ryan, good to see you. Um, is it safe to say there? It, it, it's a very positive vibe, I think, uh, of expectation and hope and opportunity that for the biofuels industry, which is so important to soybean producers, that this could be a, a, a big bounce-back year? I think everybody is ready for a big bounce back year. The last two have been a big challenge. Certainly 2019 was was really rough, not just with weather, but policy. We were waiting on trade agreements. They hadn't come through. Biodiesel was struggling with our RFS. Um, what is that going to look like from a small refinery exemption? And then it was the biodiesel tax credit. So everybody was waiting for all of this stuff to happen, and it wasn't. And that was just wearing on farmers all over the place. And so to see some victories here in the last couple of months has been really nice. Yeah, the tax credit, a huge step forward. Now, we still have the RFS issues, obviously, but there seems to be uh, a real chance here. I I call it the stars may be finally aligning uh, with the uh, low-carbon policies that are taking hold around the country. And it looks like more that creates that opportunity for biodiesel. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I should say a lot of the listeners out there have heard me before and and my voice is a little different today. I lost it at a youth sporting event over the weekend. So sorry about that. But um, yeah, I think this is all about biodiesel being part of the solution. And I think as we talk about 
whether it's a carbon piece of legislation, whether it's state legislation that's out there, biodiesel and soybean farmers are positioning themselves to be part of the solution. And I think that's really important over 2020 and 2021 that we continue to say, hey, don't forget about biodiesel, not in a punitive standpoint, but as a way to help solve the problem that is out there. Of course, the trade issues that you talked about and to get USMCA and and phase one of the US-China deal done, of course, we wait to see on China, especially how that plays out this year, but just two huge steps. Uh, When we talk so much all of last year about the need to get those things done, it's, um, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but right now it sure gives us a positive start to the year. It felt like we were going backwards and backwards and backwards. And I think that between USMCA, Japan at the, that took effect January 1, and now we've seen USMCA pass, and now we have uh, China phase one, I think all of those are really, really helpful. But we're still not to, to zero. I mean, we still have a long ways to go. The trade war with China continues. As good as phase one looks on paper, we have to hold China accountable to stick to the agreement that they made. And we need to continue because we have to get rid of the tariffs. So that will be really important. We'll have to watch USMCA to make sure implementation is accurate. I think everybody expects that to go smoothly. And then Japan, that was a, a, a small agreement that helped agriculture. How do we make sure that is fixed as we go forward into the, into the future long term? We're talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Ryan, uh, it looks like we're also about to finally get some movement on waters of the U.S. and perhaps a new rule there. Yeah, that would be great. It's been a long time coming. I know this is something that farmers have been extremely frustrated at over years, rightfully so. And I I think that this is really situational. So this is an example of Washington, D.C. trying to create a regulation and not fully understanding the impact on that farm in North Dakota or in Mississippi or in Michigan. And, um, And so being able to pull the rule back and come out with a new water of the United States rule, how do you regulate waters of the U.S.? is important. And and I think it was appropriate that the administration took their time to create a rule that's going to be legally defensible because we know it's going to go to the court system. The, the last one did, the, the two before that did. So we know this is going to the courts. Making sure it's legally defensible is really important. It's one of those few issues that agriculture and EPA seem to be on the same page on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. One of the few. One of the few. And and beyond this, I mean, WOTUS is going to be really important, but there's other regulations out there as well. So we have Part 340, uh, which is biotech regulation. And how does EPA, FDA, and USDA, how do they coordinate when they're regulating biotech, whether it's gene editing or traditional GMO? And, and that rule needs to be finalized. A lot of people are looking to that to, to happen throughout 2020. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, we haven't really talked about it, uh, you and me, but uh, I've made uh, the comment about how as these new plant-based products come on the market, it kind of puts the soybean grower right in the middle of this because you produce some of those products, but also your biggest customer is the livestock industry. How do you see the soybean industry uh, positioning itself and handling this moving forward? That's a conversation that our farmers are gonna have at Commodity Classic. What does that look like? I think right now, it's important that we view soybeans as a protein source. And that protein source can be utilized by animals and it can be used for human food consumption, whether that's in a burger patty or for for some other product within food. 
And I think that's what's amazing about soybeans is it can it's really versatile. It can be used for biodiesel all the way to human food. And, and I think that's something that we need to remember. We're providing a protein source for the world. And whether that's going to be used in food or animal protein, I, I think that we can do both of it. But it is a bit of a tight walk, a tight rope here, because this fine line of your a new market opportunity for your growers, but that that new product could compete with your traditional best customer. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's that's a big reason why some of our farmers need to have this conversation when we have our delegate session. And I think that there's a difference, and this will be part of that conversation, but I think there's a difference in saying that we have soybeans as a part of a product versus naming that product after an animal protein. So you can have a plant-based food but not named that after an animal protein. And so that seems like a, you know, how are you saying that? It, it's, a, it's a fine line, but I think that's important. So in other words, um, impossible pork is, is using the name pork. Is that appropriate? I think that's a conversation farmers have to say or have to have. But if you are just talking about um, a, a plant-based food, well, that's different. So, again, those are really tricky conversations that farmers are going to have over the next couple of months. I know pork producers don't feel it's a good, it's the right name for them to be using. So, but yeah, it's going to have to be worked out. You mentioned Commodity Classic when your delegates will get together. What do you think will be some of the other top issues that you'll be discussing? Then? I think trade, no question, trade's going to come up again. And what does that look like as, as we identify new markets, as we talk about new markets, as we talk about China um, holding um, China accountable? And then there's, there's little nuanced things like the World Trade Organization appellate body. And part of the agreement with China, while it's unique, is also based on aspects of the World Trade Organization and using that as a body that helps regulate the flow of goods from country to country. And so the check and balance at the WTO is through this appellate body. And I know this is really nuanced, but it's also really important long term. And, and so the U.S. is saying, hey, the, w, the WTO needs to have some reforms to it. And, and in the course of those reforms, we should get to a point where we can use it again as a check and balance system. So I know it's nuanced, but it'll be a conversation that we need to have. Talked about um, new markets out there. We may see something happen with the United Kingdom. I think both the European Union and the United Kingdom are on the docket for everybody. They're, they're racing forward, they being both the United States and each of those uh, countries or, or group of countries respectively. And that's good. That is something that for a long time we have said agriculture needs to be a part of any of those trade agreements. And Europe has pushed back. I mean, they have a lot of reasons that they don't want to include agriculture. But we think whatever agreement they have, agriculture must be a part of it. Well, 2020 will hold plenty of challenges, no doubt. But it sure seems to be off on a better start than 2019 and and some positives uh, to build off of. Yeah, I think your listeners can appreciate the emotional toll that 2019 took. It was just rough. And I know it was the weather. I know it was a lack of legislative accomplishments, but it just felt every every road that we went down, um, we got stuck. And that was just really difficult. And so to have a couple of wins early, even if it's in the policy arena um, in 2020, I think that, that buoys the optimism, that eternal hope that farmers always have that this year is going to be better. Yeah, a lot of people said, let's turn the page on 2019 and get on with 2020. And and I know here at the Biodiesel Conference, there's certainly, I think, cautious optimism that this could be a real 
turning point year for this industry that's had its ups and downs. Yeah, no question. And I think biodiesel is a is a big part of that. I mean, to see the biodiesel tax credit move and to to see an opportunity for the small refinery exemption to possibly improve this year. We'll see what EPA does when they come out with rules later this year. But yeah, there is a lot of optimism out there and that's good. We need it. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Ryan, good to see you. Take care of that voice and we'll talk again soon. All right. I appreciate it. Nice to see you. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. Check it out. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures trended lower overnight amid no confirmation of any large Chinese purchases of U.S. agriculture products. With the Lunar New Year holiday next week for all of China, some are concerned that sales may still be a ways off. Weekly ethanol production and inventory data could give the market some Insight into the state of export demand, private exporters reporting sales of 29,724 metric tons of corn for delivery to Guatemala during the 2020-21 marketing year. March corn edged modestly higher Wednesday. The short-term trend, neutral bullish, bordered by resistance at 392, support at 382. March Chicago wheat seeing chart resistance overhead at 598 and a quarter. That'd be the daily high from October 5th and October 19th of 2018. Chicago wheat march an hour into the day, three and a half cents higher, 581 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat march up two and a half at 558. Kansas City march up a penny at 493 and a half. March corn up two and a half at 391 and a quarter. March soybeans down eight cents at 905 and three quarters of a cent. Livestock at the Merck and Live Cattle, February down 7 cents at 126.10. April down 2 cents per hundred weight, 126.75. Feeder cattle, March 57 cents higher, 143.62. April up 45 at 146.47. Lean hog futures, positive signs in front of the changes. February up 75 at 68.30. April up 82, 75.35. On Wall Street, the Dow down 110, NASDAQ down 15, S&P down 8, crude oil down $1.74. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, Rusty Halverson, American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. 
Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We have lots to talk about with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robbo AgriFinance. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Good. How are you? We're a little good. wet and hey. snowy here in St. Louis, but we're good. Yeah, here, here too in Illinois. And, uh, you know, down in Tampa, folks were complaining it was only going to, you know, when we were down there, it was only in the 50s and 60s for highs. And uh, you, could t- you could tell the Midwesterners from the locals because we reacted differently yeah. to that. The locals were really bundled up. Hey, let me take something from yeah. uh, that biodiesel conference. I wanted to sure. bounce off you. Uh, yeah. They're they're obviously feeling better with the with the tax credit now, and they're sure. they're looking forward, and they want to expand production. They're, right now, we're using about three billion gallons of biodiesel. They want to get, kick that up to six billion by the year twenty thirty. Now, that would require going from using eight billion pounds of soybean oil to eighteen billion pounds. That's obviously going to take more soybean oil, probably more crushing capacity. Uh, what do you think about those numbers? Are those doable? You think? Yeah, you know, you know, my first reaction is, you know, boy, that seems pretty ambitious. I guess would be my first reaction. You know, I think that, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, we've had a lot of discussion about crushing capacity, so let's kind of start there. Um, well, yeah, we'll start there. You know, people have been amazed that we've been able to crush two billion bushels or more of beans, and we said we haven't added crush capacity. I said, well, we really have in the last several years. We've added three crush plants or had another plant in that mix, you know, increase their capacity. So. I'm not as worried about crush capacity. I think the industry will adapt or will, you know, if that's what it needs and that's what, you know, people are buying, you know, they'll adapt and they, they will be able to do that. So I, I think that's doable. I, I think the other piece that's, and I understand their optimism, um, and there is a lot of uh, optimism in the world about biodiesel, and we'll come back to that. But, you know, I think the first question is, is the market there that will demand that much biodiesel in the United States? Now, that's, you know, there probably is, and that's probably a horrible way to put it, uh, but you have to get people to, to adopt, adopt the use of biodiesel like we did with ethanol, you know, all those sorts of things. And so I think that's the first question I would have is, is that doable to get people to, you know, use biodiesel on a regular basis, uh, year-round, and that sort of thing would be my, that'd be my other reaction. You know, the yeah, other they have, they the- have two, they're counting on two Go big ahead. drivers, uh, the low-carbon 
fuel policy on the yep. West Coast, California, yep. which is sure. looks to be a big demand. And yep. they are really getting to the bioheat, using biodiesel for home heating up in the Northeast. And they're really yeah. counting on those two sectors to drive demand. Uh-huh. Well, and and that makes sense if they can if those if those sectors would you know adopt it and you know hug it and warm it up and you know really endorse it, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like with ethanol or any other fuel, whether it's wind or solar or biodiesel, there are sectors who can use it and it makes a lot of sense for them to use because in the sense of the biofuels, they tend to be a little cleaner um, to use from an environmental standpoint of view. I think the other piece about biodiesel is just the demand side globally. Uh, you see mandates raising in Brazil. You see them raising in Indonesia and Malaysia. Now, obviously, that's going to be palm oil fueled, uh, but palm oil has its own issues uh, as far as sustainability and what the world will accept or not accept. And, and I would think, like ethanol, there may be an export market out there that is, is likely untapped. Uh, but, you know, the demand or the growth in biodiesel production and the demand and growth in demand for bio or for soybean oil um, all look pretty positive for the, the soy industry and the biodiesel industry going forward. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, I think the low sulfur is probably that. I mean, you see the same thing happening in with marine transportation, that they're making a big push to get rid of what, what we'd call the, the bottom of the of the distiller's column of fuel they're using and using something that's a lot cleaner burning. So there are some positives in the world, and, and I think it's, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. Will it happen over time? Yeah, I do think it will. But I, I think it's get those demanders on board and get them using it, and then, then you've got a, a business that keeps moving forward. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, I, I, I find us in an interesting time here. As farmers are looking at this year and planning, yeah. I mean, we've got the optimism now of a China deal and USMCA right. and a Japan deal, but we know those things take time to kick in, and we know that until we actually have increased sales that they're just talking points, they're just words on paper, and especially with China, there's a lot of you know skepticism. Will they fulfill what's in that deal? So do, do you think... Should farmers plan for this uh, big rebound and we're going to sell to all, you know, we got these markets now to sell into more or we're kind of cautious here and say, well, until we see it, I'm not sure. It feels like we're caught in the middle a little bit here. Well, no, I think that's a, I think your premise, your question is absolutely correct. And, and, and I think there's, I think it's also kind of a readjusting of views of what, what's going to be important and what's not. I think is, you know, I live in Missouri, so it's, you know, show me the money, so to speak. Um, let's see the Chinese fulfill their promises or fulfill what's been promised for them. I put it both ways because I think there's been a little bit of that. And from a, a row crop guy, I understand the, maybe to be a little conservative, a little, you know, a little cautious. And I think that's a fair tack to take because, you know, the other thing when you look at the fundamentals of the market overall, and we'll pick on corn and soybeans. So soybeans, you know, the fundamentals look a little better than they did a year ago, obviously, with lower stocks. But the fact is, when you look globally, we still have lots of stocks and lots of production. And so, you know, it's going to take a fairly significant change um, of, of, the, of the production machine to make prices go up. The other thing you have to think about is that when you look at global trade of corn, wheat, and soybeans, it's been flat for four years, and that includes China. And so you're you're basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, or rearranging the deck chairs, or whatever whatever saying you want to use. We have to buy share away from Brazil, or buy share away from the Black Sea, 
or whoever to get into what it's China, whether it's Europe, whether it's, you know, Southeast Asia, because other people have had cheaper prices than we've had into those markets. So I think that's, that's the other thing. Um, so I'm, I'm cautious. The other thing I would say, just to kind of finish up that is, one of the things that you look at the Chinese agreement, and, and it's, it's, a, it's interesting reading, so I would encourage listeners to read it, is think about who the winners were. And I, I hate to put it in that case, but the livestock industry came out of this really, really well. And so they're going to be gearing up for this, and they're already gearing up. But, you know, ASF has created some of that. And your, our market, and I'm going to say our and the row crop guys, because that's what I focus on, is the market's going to be the livestock guy. And it goes back to that old model of we're going to walk it off the farm versus hauling off the farm. And that's where our market's going to be. That's where the growth is going to be in that feed sector. And I'm thinking about corn in particular, but also from a meal perspective. That's where the growth's going to be, and that's where our market's going to be. It, it may not and likely is not going to be a big growth market in the export market. And so I think that's the other thing we have to think about, and who, who is our buyer? And it's going to be the livestock guy. Wow. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, that's you know, exactly right. right. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's an old model, and that's okay. And, you know, we think about, you know, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, alternate protein meats, and I'll put it in that quotes. Um, you know, those are niche markets in my view. They're going to grow uh, because there are consumers who want them, and that's okay. Um, but the fact is that when you look at the world as a whole, there's still a demand for animal protein, and to, to make animal protein, you have to have corn, you have to have soybean meal. All right, what's your price outlook here uh, through the rest <laughs> of winters? We head to springtime. What, what are markets yeah. going to be uh, doing here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had that question yesterday from one of our from one of our borrowers, and you know, I think that the, you're probably in a situation now where you're kind of in a in a kind of in a zone. I mean, you look at corn prices; they really haven't done very much. They've been pretty flat going forward, and I think this range that we've been in of corn of kind of upside of around four, uh, downside probably in that 375 area on nearby futures is probably a good area. And so when you look at where futures are right now, you're kind of the upside of that range. And I think that's where we're going to be. Beans is a lot tougher to kind of narrow down because there's such a, you know, do we see China buy a lot of beans? Do we not see them buy a lot of beans? You know, you're coming in that time period where the Chinese are kind of in that middle ground between buying U.S. beans and buying South American beans. And they see a big crop coming on in South America, they're going to hold up and wait for that. And you've seen the bean market react to the fact is that you're going to have a big bean crop. Um, I think beans are probably more in that, you know, you're in that 875 to 9 and a quarter, uh, maybe 940 area when you go forward. Um, but the thing is, think about the calendar. You know, we're now, well, what? two months, two and a half months away from the prospective planning numbers, and I think there's a lot of expectation that those numbers are going to be big this year. And so when those numbers come out, you know how markets react to that. And so I think that's the thing to think about is your opportunities on the marketing side for 2020 might be right now. And so that's where we're trying to kind of point people and think about the calendar, what's going forward. Um, and if the Chinese demand comes through, um, good. Um, then that gives you more opportunities down the road. If you didn't, if you haven't marketed your whole crop, which I'm not necessarily advocating that, but you've got, then you've got some upside potential. But I think it's limited. Looking at the calendar, thinking about where the S and Ds are, both in the U.S. and globally, um, we've got lots of stuff. And so it's, it'll be, 
think this is the time of year while you're planning next year or planning 2020. Gosh, it's already 2020. Uh, when you're planning, think about not only your what you're going to plant and what the costs are, but think about the marketing side or the revenue side as well because this may be your best opportunities to do that. Uh, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Good All right, Steve, fun. good to talk with you again. Thanks a good lot. To talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Well, Farm Bureau delegates have wrapped up their convention in Austin. Interesting delegate session. They took on some issues such as crop reports, also dairy policy. We'll talk about some of those things with John Newton, Chief Economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, some have made claims that we are now totally energy independent. We don't even need foreign oil. Is that the case? Let's talk about it with Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Have we reached energy independence yet? Thanks for having me this morning, Mike. Uh, unfortunately, we've not reached energy independence yet. We, have, we are less dependent uh, than we were 15 years ago on foreign sources of energy, but we are not yet independent. It's great that over the last 15 years, as a result of uh, both shale oil production uh, and a tremendous increase in biofuels production, ethanol is now 10% uh, of the gasoline blend. We are a lot less dependent than we were. But again, we're not, we're not independent. We're not an island under, unto ourselves. 
and especially in petroleum, we're linked to international markets still. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, an interesting delegate session at this year's American Farm Bureau Federation Annual Convention in Austin, Texas. Here to tell us about it, John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau. John, thanks for joining us. Let's get into some of the uh, uh, issues that were discussed and the positions taken by Farm Bureau delegates. Let's start with dairy. What, what did they decide on dairy policy? Well, well, first of all, Mike, please excuse uh, my voice. Uh, just happened to lose it a little bit uh, at convention, but... Uh, dairy policy has been something that we've been working on uh, for a full year, and, and I've had the opportunity to visit with you a number of times to talk about what we've been working on. And our voting delegates uh, convened around a series of, of dairy policy concepts and ideas uh, really designed to bring farmers back to the table. We'd like to see dairy farmers uh, have an independent and confidential vote uh, during any type of federal order hearing that impacts their farm's profitability and the value of milk. And then we had some, some more technical our request with respect to the, the federal milk marketing orders. Well, take us into that debate. What was it like, and uh, uh, how did uh, w- when it finally came down, how do you feel about this moving forward now? I, I feel like, you know, Farm Bureau is now in an excellent position to, to engage in a dialogue uh, with Capitol Hill, with USDA, and other dairy industry stakeholders. Uh, the debate among our members uh, really was, 
you know, we had a we had a early, very early morning meeting to talk about dairy policy. Everybody felt uh, that dairy farmers should have an opportunity to participate uh, and vote in the federal order hearing process. And then they they made some other requests designed to to lift milk prices. Component pricing in the southeast is one that our delegates uh, coalesced around and now support, uh, and that'll pay farmers for the components in their milk. And the southeast hasn't had component pricing, and we're now uh, willing to uh, consider that as an option. All right, some other issues. Uh, the delegates had some strong feelings about uh, crop reports. <laughs> Who hasn't had a strong feeling yeah. about crop reports? Uh, 2019 has been a, a wild year. We've had some of the biggest market surprises, uh, whether we're talking about acreage, yield, production, grain stocks, uh, going back some 30 years. And so uh, our delegates made a recommendation to the AFPF Board of Directors to look uh, and engage with NAS and other industry stakeholders to figure out how we can restore confidence in these reports uh, and make sure that these reports convey the accuracy. And, and when you look around the country right now, the basis levels in corn or soybeans are, are so strong. Uh, many of our members in, in Austin said, look, the, the crop's just not there. That's why the cash prices are where they are. Hmm. What did they uh, decide on hemp? Well, I think the big thing on hemp, you know, the, the, the rules that USDA had in the Farm Bill said that, that hemp should be at a, a 0.3 THC level. Anything above 0.5, they've got a little deviation around that, uh, it's considered a hot crop. And, and our folks wanted to see that uh, move to 1%. The psychedelic properties of hemp of of, T, of marijuana THC doesn't kick in until hot levels that are way higher than that. Now, I'm not our hemp ex- expert. Scott Bennett and Michael Nevue and our team coordinate that. But, but from a layman's perspective, that's the sense I gather from the delegate body. And on trade, while everyone, I think, is feeling better with the trade deals recently announced, uh, there's also a feeling of uh, we have to see them actually uh, – come to fruition right uh, it's more they got to be more than words we've got to see the actual sales yeah, that's exactly right you ever seen the movie uh, jerry Maguire? yeah show me the money <laughs> show me the money yeah. <laughs> i think that's the, the delegate body that's exactly it you know let's see some products start moving we're, we're seeing pork move now uh, let's see soybeans move you know brazil harvest you know one or two percent complete right now here in a month or two they're going to be in the game they're going to be in the game in a very big way and we need, to see, we need to see U.S. products moving. So the voting delegates uh, voted to continue to support uh, the market facilitation program. Uh, but we've got a grassroots process. That's a year-long process. So uh, it's very possible, Mike, that when we get to the floor in, in 2021 that, that all this trade's behind us and we can, we can get that policy out of our book. But right now we need to uh, show us the money first. Well, let's talk about MFP payments because uh, Secretary Purdue said, you know, the next round is coming, but that may be it. Uh, was there discussion on those payments? Well, I think we're, you know, all of our folks, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful that the third uh, tranche of the MFP2 is, is going to be coming. Uh, you know, I think the discussion really was around, you know, let's let's monitor this phase one uh, deal with China. If China steps up to the plate and does everything that they're talking about doing. And then you talk about uh, tariff reduction in the Japanese market. Then you talk about USMCA. We won't need another round of trade assistance because trade will be there. That'll juice our prices. But it's going to be a race of supply and demand in 2020. We had 20 million acres go unplanted. Those are going to come back online. So we need to demand to grow at a faster rate than supply next year if we're going to see higher prices. 
Well, I know your meeting was highlighted by the uh, the visit and the speech by by President Trump. What would you say the mood is? It cautiously optimistic. I think I think folks they they want to buy in. They want to they want to believe the hype. But you know it's it's been a tough five or six years across farm country. So uh, folks are cautiously optimistic. But uh, you know this administration's delivered on just about every promise that they've made to agriculture. Uh, small refinery exemptions notwithstanding uh so i think i think you know we're looking forward to seeing these products move um and that'll be a good thing for agriculture yeah the rfs issue is still one that's hanging out there that's one of the boxes not checked yet by the president uh, in this election year that's right but but year-round e15 is one of the boxes that's checked and and i think you know we'll continue to work you know we sent our comments on in on that issue and then the other big big win that we're, we're we hope to get uh, the next few days is is the waters of the U.S. Uh, and so, you know, they've like I said, they've delivered on their promises to farmers and ranchers. Very good. Well, take care of that voice, and we'll talk again soon, John, okay? Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, as uh, AFBF just wrapped up their convention in Austin, Texas. Yeah, now we have focus on uh, waters of the U.S., this new rule that agriculture is excited about, some in the environmental community are upset about, and they'll probably will go to court over it. We'll get an update on that coming up tomorrow right here on AOA. Hope you'll join us. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Mike Adams. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. 4556.